Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. I'd like you to get your Bibles today and open them to 1 Corinthians and chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. We're now in our fourth week of looking at an ancient document called the Apostles' Creed. A creed is, again, a formal statement of Christian beliefs in our case. And so, so far, this is what we've done, we've looked at. We've looked at the ideas that God created all things and that the purpose of God's creation, and this is the, the kicker, I think, in that story, is the purpose and goal of his creation was, take a look at yourself, it was you. <laughs> That's what God was about. That's why he created the universe. And then we looked at the idea that Jesus Christ, uh, his only son, must be Lord of our lives. It's not enough to simply believe in Jesus, but to all so consider him and to make him Lord of our lives. We've got to get that figured out. And then uh, last week we looked at the idea that the, of the virgin birth and how important that is to the story because we saw that because Jesus had to be 100% God and 100% man at the same time so he could do what he did for us. And we also saw the primary importance of the work of the Holy Spirit in people to help us to be conduits of Jesus to others as Mary was physically so we can be spiritually by bringing Jesus to the world around. Us. Are we caught up? You with me? If you missed any of those, you can always go online and listen to them. All right. So uh, as we've been doing the last few weeks, I'm going to ask you to stand again, and we're going to recite our modified, slightly modified creed. Are you ready? Yeah. I say, are you ready? Yeah. Here we go. Go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the community of holy people, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Give yourselves a hand today. You did great. <laughs> Show the next slide, if you will, Kevin. Today we're going to focus on what you see in red there, the idea that uh, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Are you ready to get into it? Yes. Come on. Are you ready? All right. Man, I work so hard on these messages, so if I say, are you ready, you say, yeah, I'm ready. You put it into work, Pastor. I'm here to hear it. Okay, here we go. So here we go. We're going to look at our text, 1 Corinthians 1, 18. He's a wacko. Okay, anyway. Uh, here we go. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it, even as we're reading it just now. And God, may we hold high the, the, the message of the cross today. May you give us deeper understanding what it means that the wisdom of the cross is wiser than, than the foolishness of this age and that the strength of the cross is greater than, than the, 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 anything we can imagine, Lord God. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen? So back around, uh, just before Easter, we did kind of a little drama with the youth while one of the songs was being sung. And that week, and, and uh, Lawrence, who went down and is working with the kids, he, he built the cross for me. But during the week, I was figuring out how they were going to uh, stand it up here on the platform and not fall over and kill somebody, you know, things that, things that you do. And so I'm dragging this cross around all over the place, and, and, and you know, kind of thoughts go through your head. And I was thinking... Uh, as I'm thinking about the cross, I felt very strongly, probably as strong as I've ever felt the Lord speak to me, I felt him speak to me, uh, kind of a, a mild rebuke, and he said, you don't honor my cross enough. And then in the same instant, I felt that he said that I was, after Easter, I was to take that cross that we had built and to put it in a prominent place in our church. And uh, it's not that I'm opposed to the cross, believe me, I love the cross, but it's just that he was saying, you're just, you're, you're not going as far as I want you to go with it. And so this week, in honor of our message, we've got a cross on our wall for the first time ever in Praise Center history. And it, again, it's, not, it's no opposition. We love the cross here, but we've just never put one up. But we, I just felt like, well, God, I'm going to do that. I don't, know what, I don't know what that's about if it's just for me. If I need some, you know, rebuke in my life or something change, but, but, or maybe it's for all of us to just honor the cross more. What do you think? You in? All right, so that's what that's about. Well, um, so uh, this, I'm going to start with something that's a little, sound like a little off topic, but I'll get to where I need to be here in just a moment. But, uh, you know, I, I've never been one to put bumper stickers on my car, and so I don't want to offend anybody in what I'm about to say right now, because you may have bumper stickers on your car. But, um, but there are some out there that are a little bit... You know, especially the one that says, if you can read this, you're following too close. The problem is, I'm always trying to get close enough to read the bumper sticker, and <laughs> by the time I get there, I'm too close, obviously. <laughs> and uh, so that's a problem. But um, years ago, many, many years ago, it became, and in fact, this goes way back to the early church, uh, even before the time of this creed being written and all of that, the symbol of the fish became a symbol for Christianity, and we call it the ichthus, and uh, in fact, I, you, you'll see them on the back of a lot of cars like that. You've seen that before, right? Okay, and, uh, and a lot of people don't really know why are those letters what they are. They're Greek letters, and it, and it, doesn't, it doesn't spell the name Jesus, but it, it has, the, first letter has, the first letter of Jesus' name in Greek and so it's Jesus, and then the, first, the second letter has to, is Christ, and then the third is God, and then uh, the fourth letter has to do with Son, so the Son of God, different order for us, and then uh, the final uh, has to do with He's our Savior. So really, it's, it's, it was representative of an entire phrase, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior. And all in one little package. This symbol was an ancient symbol that was used um, in the catacombs and different places. When Christianity became an, a place where people were being beheaded, sometimes they'd just use this simple little symbol of the fish. Be fishers of men, you get this, right? And they'd use this simple symbol of a fish to indicate that's where Christians were. And even today, you'll see sometimes in advertising, people will use the symbol of a fish if they're saying, hey, I'm, this is a Christian business, if there is such a thing, I don't really know. But, but and, uh, Christians own a business, let's put it that way. There's not a Christian business, but Christians can own a business. So anyway, we put these on the back of our cars, some people do. And then, of course, somebody came along with the next one here, which was to counteract, you know, come against. You've seen those as well, right? And uh, they're saying, no, I don't believe in God. I believe in science or whatever. Anyway, so 
Um, but then we Christians, we thought not to be outdone, we came up with the next one here, which is us eating the Darwin fish. What a great witness that is, right? We're just like, oh, you know, we're going to devour you. And uh, I don't know. I, I just Forgive me if you've got that on your car. I'm sorry. But t- please take it off. Okay. Um, <laughs> fair enough. All right. Um, so, so anyway, there's this, this, you know, thing going on with bumper stickers and different things you could put on the back of your, you know, people put like their stick families and that was all cute. And then people came along and said, my, my T-Rex ate your stick family. And then you see, you know, Darth Vader shooting laser beams at their, you know, it goes on and on. It's just crazy. But, but way back in, when I went to Bible college, there was a bumper sticker that said, honk if you love Jesus, honk if you love Jesus, Right. And sometimes you still see this around very rarely, but that was a big, I mean, I'm talking the 70s, that was a big thing. All the hippies on the back of their VW vans had honk if you love Jesus, right? Even if they weren't Christians, it was just the in thing to have that on there. And there was another thing that went on during Bible college, which uh, my Bible college years, the 70s and even the 60s, because the, the uh, hippies in the 60s came out with the peace symbol. You know, everybody's going around, hey, peace, brother, right? And then the Black Panthers come along, and they had black power and all this. So Christians didn't want to be outdone, so we were going around with the one way, Jesus. We are just putting up one finger like this. And we used to do that all the time. You know, it was just a thing in the 70s. And, and so, so one time, my friend and I were driving on the Hollywood Freeway, and we're on our Bible, the way to Bible school. We're driving along, and we see a car that has a sticker on the back that says, Honk if you love Jesus. And so my friend starts honking his horn, and we're, we're passing the guy, we're driving by, and the guy showed us a finger, but it wasn't, it wasn't the one-way finger, okay? He was basically saying, you know, he was letting us, uh, another kind of finger. Anyway, uh, apparently that guy didn't love Jesus, forgot he had the bumper sticker, I don't know, or he bought it from someone else and hadn't taken the sticker off yet. I don't really know, but he obviously was not the... Uh, the guy we thought he was, or he just kind of lost his way that day and had a sinful moment of uh, hatred and all that and anger. But also, I like this uh, that a church came up with, honk if you love Jesus, uh, but he says, text while driving if you want to meet him. <laughs> i like, that's, that's pretty funny. Okay. I went a long ways just for fun to come to one more bumper sticker. How many have seen this bumper sticker and it spells out the word coexist, and it starts with an Islamic uh, half or crescent moon, and the, uh, the O is a peace symbol, like the, the triad of the peace symbol, and then the E is a, a symbol for a male and female, kind of a scientific male and female symbol. The X is made into like a Hebrew star, a six-pointed star, so it represents Judaism and the Star of David. The I is, is made into a pentagram for, for witchcraft and Wiccan. The S is the, uh, kind of made into the uh, yin and yang symbol uh, that comes from uh, uh, Chinese and uh, Oriental or uh, Asian kinds of uh, practices. And then finally, at the very end of the whole coexist is the letter T, which of course is the cross representing Christianity. And, uh, and, and when you see that bumper sticker or that word, you know, you can see in a person's mind what they're thinking. Boom, look at this guy. How did you do that? That's amazing. Yeah. Actually, that's a, that one's a little different because uh, the, uh, co- the E is different. I don't know what that E is representing. Something, anyway. Bottom line, it doesn't matter. There are a whole bunch of different kinds of things out there 
that uh, people are trying to say, just get along, right? And on the surface, you think, well, okay, yeah, that kind of makes sense. We just want to get along. But there's a real foundational problem with this idea of coexist. Because what it's saying is, is that Christianity or Jesus is just one of many religions. And you've heard people say things like, well, it doesn't really matter how you serve God, just so long as you're a good person and you'll get to heaven someday if you do, do the right thing. And everybody has their own path to God. You hear it all the time. You see it on TV all the time. You, right? Are you ca catching what I'm saying? Now, now, each of these religions claims something as truth, but can, I just want to seal this into our minds today. They can't all be true. And especially, you know, for instance, if I say that the sky is blue and you say that the sky is red, one of us is right and one of us is wrong. And you might say, well, from my perspective, okay, but there is some truth out there. Let's figure out what the real truth is. And, and consider our faith for, for a moment. The very foundation of our faith rests on a claim that Jesus himself made. I've talked about this many times. I've mentioned it within the last few weeks, I know. But in John 14, 6, Jesus clearly says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, that is, that is one exclusive club if there ever was one right there. there, there you, Jesus, listen, for whatever you may think of Jesus, he is not leaving room for any other path, any other direction, or any other way to get to God except through him. And there's no one going to get to the Father. There's no one going to get to heaven. There's no one going to have life unless it's through Jesus Christ. He is the truth. So you can, co you can say coexist or tolerance. There's another one that says tolerance. You can say all that stuff all you want, and I'm not, I'm not meaning to pick fights with people. I'm just saying all that other stuff isn't true. Or, or if you say, well, and I just don't believe Jesus. Okay, then at least we know where we stand. But either if you're a believer or if you're still exploring the claims of Jesus, I just want to let you know for sure that he says there's no other way but him. So you can take that bumper sticker if you have it, which I doubt anybody here does, but if you, you, know, you should encourage people to just go ahead and cut it off and just leave the cross. That's it. Just leave the cross. That's all. As Michael Bird says, obviously Jesus is no pluralist. He's either right and all other religions are wrong or else he's wrong and some other view is right. In no case, however, can all religions be true and valid. Just can't be. If, you're, if, you're putting, if you say all religions have their merit, you can say that, but if you add Christianity to that mix, that just becomes null and void because Jesus is being very singular in what he's saying is the way. And so that means I'm going to take my faith and its implications seriously. And it means that I'll not be content to keep my religion, if you will, or my Christianity to myself and to avoid stepping on toes, not because I want to pick a fight with somebody, but because I believe I really have the truth. If I believe that people are marching toward a cliff that they're about to fall off of, love compels me to grab them and say, hold on, can I talk to you about the direction you're heading because you're about to walk off a cliff here. It's not that I hate that person. It's not that I hate what, even what they're doing per se. It's just that I don't want them to go to hell, and so I have to be compelled to love them. If I believe what I believe, I have to. I'm not going to avoid stepping on toes while the world goes to hell in a handbasket. That means I'm going to act upon the biblical injunction to shine the light or to preach the gospel everywhere I go. And that means I'm also going to recognize that this notion of coexistence is really just a fallacy. And it's, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Now, all that in mind, except for the most uh, dedicated or extreme conspiracy theorists, you'd be hard-pressed to find people 
that don't believe that Jesus was a real man and that he lived about 2,000 years ago and that, the, that the, the story of crucifixion is a real one, that they crucified criminals and, and that Jesus was crucified. Uh, in fact, we see that if we look at our world's dating system, most of the world uses the dating system in which it's based on the fact that Jesus came to this earth. It's, we're in the year 2018 because of Jesus. That's, that's the reason most of the world is going by that dating system. Some don't, but, but almost everybody that, and all computers and everything of that nature goes by that dating system. He's had the, an impact that no other has had on history. And, and so while everyone, or almost everyone, will at least agree to the historical Jesus, there's a smaller number of people who will embrace the meaning of his death and his subsequent resurrection. And this is what the, the Apostle Paul is referring to in the passage we read. He calls it the offense of the cross. The offense of the cross. First he talks about a stumbling block. And he says it, it, it's a stumbling block to the Jews and you might say to yourself, well, why, why were the Jews stumbling over Jesus? What's the problem? And I'll give you one reason, though there could be many, but uh, part of it had to do with their own power trip that they were on, and they had positions of power, and they realized what Jesus was doing was beginning to nullify the crazy system of laws that they had set up that went way beyond the Old Testament law, but that's a whole other story. But what I want to focus on is a verse that uh, Paul mentions from Galatians 3 on the screen here. It, from 3.13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. That line, cursed for, is everyone who hangs on a tree, comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21, verse 23. In the mind of the Jew... They could not understand how the Messiah was going to uh, hang on a, a pole or a tree or a cross because the, the Word of God, the Torah, the law says that that's a curse. How could their Messiah end up being a curse? And the problem is they misunderstood the, the, their, their own Old Testament, their own law. They misunderstood in Isaiah 50, uh, 53, 5, which is a very familiar verse, but it says he was pierced. This is talking about the suffering Messiah. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And, and a little further down in that same chapter, it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And uh, uh, though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. They stumble over the cross because they don't understand the fact that Jesus himself was not cursed, but he took our curse because of my sin and your sin. He took our curse on himself. When he hung on that cross, the, he became cursed for us. And that was what the curse part was all about. And so Deuteronomy is actually speaking of an incredible event that we all to just thank God for right now that he took. Because you understand, when we sinned in the Garden of Eden, that curses were put upon our lives. But on the cross, God turned that upside down, and Jesus took that curse so it no longer applies to you and me. We ought to just thank God right now. Let's do that. God, we thank you for that. Thank you that through the cross, the curse has been broken. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, he, go, he says that it's a it, it's, uh, stumbling block to the Jews, but he says it's foolishness to the Gentiles. Now, Gentiles are everybody else but Jews, so don't stumble over that word. And, uh, and so, so there's no way that anyone in the natural way of thinking of things thinks that the path to victory is to die, to offer your life as a sacrifice. It's really counterintuitive. It's, it doesn't, in our way of thinking about how do you win, that would not be your first way to go about it. And the world's way of doing it is thinking that, well, you gain victory by killing the enemy. 
but, but, and, and not laying your own life down, and especially the horror of crucifixion, especially that. Crucifixion was what the Roman government did to criminals. It was grueling and a horrible way to die. We, we see that phrase uh, that we read a moment ago, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. I mentioned last week that besides the names of God, including Jesus and Christ and Holy Spirit and the word Son, besides references to God, there's only two names that made it into the creed. One was Mary, who we talked about last week, and here is this other one that's very interesting. Of all people, of all people, Pilate gets mentioned in the creed. What's that about? I would think of all people, you'd want to leave that guy out. Why, what is the deal? And, and, and so and he was this cruel and really in many ways foolish Roman official who was described by his own contemporaries as known for briberies and insults, robberies and injustice. He would call for executions often without a trial and was known for ceaseless and supremely grievous cruelty toward people. He was just an awful, awful man. And, 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 and in fact, the New Testament actually paints a nicer picture of him than history does. Because it says that, you know, when, when he, he comes and he washes his hands, he says, oh, you know, this, this blood is on your heads, not on mine, and I'm washing my hands of this. And it, it makes him seem like he was really on Jesus' side. No. He had, the, he had every bit of power to stop that from happening, and he let it proceed as it was proceeding. Really, he was, he was making a show. So not only was he a wicked man, but he was just deceptive in even the way he was doing making a show of being oh, I washed my hands, when the whole time, if he didn't want it to happen, he could have stopped it any minute. Are you catching what I'm saying here? A wicked man. And, and remember, but, but why even mention this guy? Now, here's what you need to remember. This creed that we have, the original form was written probably starting about 200 years after the death of Jesus. You think back 200 years in even American history, and you think about some of the history lessons and things, that's a long time, Okay. And so for the outside observer looking at this, it may seem as though the creed was speaking of some kind of a, a, a fairy tale or a fantasy or like, well, we've heard stories about that, but, you know, uh, we don't know. And all this stuff about God creating all things and God's son being born through a virgin, I mean, that, that sounds rather fairy tale-ish to us. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, out in the, in the mix of all that, Suddenly, a name is named of a historically known per person, right, that is known and has many, many records, written records by the Roman government, this guy named Pilate. It, it just sits there starkly in the middle of the creed and says, this was a historical thing that happened. Don't you think for one minute this is some kind of fantasy, this is some kind of fairy tale. No, this is real stuff we're talking about here. And so I believe with my whole heart the reason they had to add his name was to, because to, you just basically when you get to his name, you're either deciding to believe the veracity of the account or deny it, but there's no middle ground again on this. And the foolishness of the cross is found in the fact that on the surface, the story seems contrary to reason. That God should die? What's that? That victory should be won through death and suffering? It just, it, on the surface, it seems rugged. It seems rough. It doesn't seem to make sense. So for, for the Gentiles, it's foolishness. And the only way you overcome that foolishness is if at some point in your life, you, you, in your heart, begin to feel like, I think I could have faith for that. And all of a sudden, when you choose to have faith and put your faith in Christ, all of a sudden, everything about it all just makes sense. And you go, yeah, I believe it 100%. I'm in all the way. But it's on the outside, it seems foolishness. Now, in our creed, there are some words, and I'm going to mention quickly four words that are used to describe the death of Jesus. 
The first is this word, he suffered. The suffering of Jesus, I, I think, is critically important for us. It, it, it is through the suffering that we have this prom, the promises of healing. And, it, you know, the Bible says that by his wounds you are healed. It's also a beacon of hope to us that if we, if we suffer in some way, that there is a resolution at the end of it all. That there is something for us that, that if we go through suffering, in fact, uh, Paul says it that way. He says in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So, so we might be going through, and you might even be here today sitting here thinking, man, I'm going through hell right now. Listen, people suffer, and it happens, and it even happens to people that know Jesus and believe Jesus. In fact, sometimes I think it's like we've got a big old target painted on us, and the, the devil comes after us all the more. So yes, we will face suffering, but yes, we have a hope that there is an end of that suffering coming. It's going away. And then in 1 Peter 2, 20 through 21, but it, listen to this. But if you suffer for doing good and, and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. I know that doesn't sound fun at all, but hear me. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. You, there's something about going ahead and going through suffering and facing things in the right way, maintaining your faith nevertheless, that, that speaks of the greatness and the wonder of God. God is not... Into God is not the one making people suffer. Don't misunderstand me. That's the work of the enemy, or that's the work of other human beings against us, or just the, the failure of our own bodies to keep up with the sinful world we live in. But I'm going to tell you, God is on our side, and He's the one that can heal us from our sufferings, heal our emotions, heal our messed up lives, heal our families. You understand what I'm saying? He suffered, He was crucified. He was crucified. The word crucified is in our creed. It, again, it's, it, it, understand this. It was the most brutal and shameful way to die. We usually see paintings of uh, the, the crucifixion, and Jesus has some sort of a, a large cloth around his midsection. And we do that for, for sensibilities and just because we, you know, nobody wants to see something. But, but we just have to be honest that the method of crucifixion was nakedness. It wasn't just intense physical suffering. It was intense emotional suffering as crowds of people sat there and mocked those who hung on those crosses. As people looked on nakedness and you're stretched out, there's nothing you can do about it. There's no way to cover yourself. There's no way to brush flies that are landing on the cake blood on your body away. There's no way to stop Anything that's going on, there's nothing you can do to stop it. There's nothing. There's no way to protect yourself from birds who might even come and begin to peck at your flesh. I'm not trying to be grotesque, but I want you to understand what Jesus went through for us. And I want you to understand the kind of love it takes to willingly walk into something like that. In fact, blow our minds, it says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, suffering its shame. He went through not only the pain of it, but the shame of it for you and me. He went through that because he looked at the end and he said, just like a woman who's going through labor and the pain is intense, but she knows there's going to be a baby on the other end. Jesus went through the pain of the cross, looking ahead to you and saying, man, it's worth it for you. It's worth it. He'd done it for any one of you if you'd been the only one. So what a God we serve, huh? That, that, that a father would love us so much that he would subject his own son to such a thing. I couldn't do it. I, I, I love you guys, but forget it. I'm not giving one of my kids for you. I'd like to have that kind of love, but I just don't. Sorry. Not doing it. Do you understand, don't you? So, so that puts God in a completely different category, doesn't it? That he is willing to do that. 
And then the willingness, again, of Jesus himself to say, yeah, I'm going to choose to go through that. I will look through the pain that I'm going to suffer both uh, physically and even emotionally. Believe me, he had emotions going on that day. He faced shame like nobody, nobody's business, and he went through it all. And so at the end of that, we can only be grateful and thankful, can't we? Yeah. So, oh, God, thank you that you were crucified for me, that you went through that. Another word that's mentioned about Jesus is an important word. It's the word died. And I say, you say, well, duh, you know, it's kind of almost a duh moment. But, but here's the thing. There's always been skeptics about this story. There's, there are the theories that Jesus was only, it's called the swoon theory. We studied it in Bible school, that Jesus only appeared to have expired on the cross. And they took him down and he, he, he just appeared to be dead. And they wrapped him up and they put him, and after three days of laying there, he finally kind of came around and, got out of the tomb and all that, and so he really never died, and that's how they ended up seeing him afterwards, and that's a way that people explain it, but the problem is, is and well, there's a lot of problems with that story, but uh, John 19, verse 33, it says, when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Now, who are the theys? These are Roman soldiers. These are men who are trained in death and killing. This is their job, and and, and so, listen, the, the price as a Roman soldier of letting a prisoner go, including one that had been crucified, would that you would forfeit your own life. So can I tell you, they made sure when men were crucified or others were killed for crimes that they'd committed or that they had a prisoner in tow, that that person did not escape because their own life would be forfeit for that. These guys knew what they were doing. And then it goes on, it says, instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side. The reason they would break their legs is because, uh, and the reason that needed to happen, because this was the Sabbath, and the Jews were offended by the fact that, that people would be hanging on a cross over the city of Jerusalem while, uh, while it was the Sabbath, and especially this incredibly holy weekend of the Passover. So they, were, they came to Pilate, and they said, you know, you've got you to get those guys down off of there. And so what they would do to hasten the death was come and take that leg and bend it around the cross and break it so i'm sorry i know this is tough but we got to understand that they're doing this so that so that these men could no longer pick themselves up to catch a breath and so they basically suffocate to death so if it wasn't the shock of having your leg broken it was the fact that you could never catch another breath from the pain and you would die very quickly but they didn't have to do that with jesus and i want you to know prophecy says that not one of his bones would be broken come on oh man <laughs> You catching this? It's amazing. How, you know, why not just break his leg? I mean, all the other legs, but they didn't break his legs because, and they didn't even know they were fulfilling prophecy. Written 700 years before he was, he was crucified. Instead, what happens is the soldier comes along and he takes a spear. These were fairly long and sharp spears. And he takes a spear and he shoves it into Jesus' side, probably at an angle going up. And probably the way it's described, it says a sudden flow of water and blood came out. There's a, when a person dies, there's a, I, from my understanding, I'm no doctor obviously, but, but there's an area around the heart that will fill with, with some kind of clear fluid that appears like water. And so when they pierce through there, they no doubt caught that outer sack and, and the water came out, but then all the way into his heart, no doubt, where the blood also gushed out of him as well. That's, by the way, that's a good sign you're probably going to be dead, just in case it wasn't clear. And again, just the whole idea that these soldiers, they knew how to make absolute certain that someone was dead because their life was on the line if they didn't. And finally, the last word that's used to describe Jesus, are you doing okay? 
Tough stuff. They say it was buried. They had to hurry up. Again, it was the, the Sabbath's coming. According to Jewish law, uh, they could not do any work on the Sabbath. That includes taking someone down from a cross or putting him in a tomb. And they prob- Jesus died at about 3 in the afternoon. Uh, if, if it was springtime, they may have had four hours at best. But uh, probably, you know, who knows how many hours they actually had uh, when all this happened. So they, they took Jesus down. I can't even imagine. I just kind of let my mind go for a minute and think how gruesome and how difficult it would be to remove a, a human being who's been nailed to wood. I mean, come on. I, again, I'm not trying to be gruesome, but I just want to catch a reality of what Christ went through for us. And so, so, so they, there's a lot of time consuming in that. They, they removed uh, him from that cross. They carried him to, it says, a nearby tomb that was in a garden belonging to a man named Joseph. He was from a place called Arimathea. Joseph was a rich man, but he owned this garden tomb. And uh, it was carved out of limestone, which is no easy task. It was a tremendous amount of work. And this is what people would do in those days. They, if they were rich, they would dig these, they, or they would have people dig them out for them, and they'd create this space. And in this case, they were more than likely two places for, for him and his wife when they died. And, and uh, so we, the, the garden tomb that exists to this day, which we believe is the burial place of Jesus, shows that the, the secondary laid down place isn't finished and never was finished because no doubt that tomb was never used for anybody else. Hallelujah. <laughs> And, uh, but the place where Jesus lay, no doubt, and it, according to Scripture, as they went into the tomb, it, it, they looked over to the left, and they saw his body laying, or the strips of cloth laying there, because he was no longer in the tomb. But anyway, they get him down from the cross, they hurry him, they wrap him in strips of cloth, they put some spices on him, but not the full burial thing that they had to do, and they hurried and put him in there. Now, all that's to say that he was buried, he was put in a tomb, and they hurried up. But then, but then... This interesting bit of scripture comes along because the Jews uh, who had sought the crucifixion of Jesus and all this time had denied that he was who he said he was, all of a sudden they seem to be the ones that understand the story more than anyone else. I want to show you a little bit of a lengthy passage, but Matthew 27, 62. It says, the next day, the one after the preparation day, this would be uh, the Sabbath, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, the, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. What's funny about that to me is nobody got this whole idea that Jesus was going to raise from the dead. Even his own disciples hadn't figured it out. But these guys were listening. They were listening. And although they continued to think it was a deception, they, they said, so give orders that the tomb be made secure till the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people he's been raised from the dead. And this last deception will be worse than the first. Now, think about this. So, so Pilate says, okay, take a guard and go make, listen, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. Again, Roman guards securing a tomb. So they went and made it secure by putting a seal on it and posting over the stone and posting a guard there. They, they, these guys understood full well the, that when Jesus has said, hey, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days, and uh, oh, where, they start mocking him. It took so many years to build this temple. What are you talking about? But apparently they understood. Apparently they understood that, that when he was talking about that, he was actually talking about his body, it tells us in the Scripture. So, so, so they're, they're connecting the dots better than anybody else at this point, even though they're not believers. But I'm getting into the resurrection now, and we'll talk about that next week. Aren't you excited? 
I love the resurrection story. We're going to have Easter again next week, all right? So we'll save that for next week. The point is, this, this idea that Jesus suffered, he was crucified, he died, and he was buried. He went through all that. And you may say, well, what does all that mean? Well, at the very least, it means that you and I have the hope of eternal life. <laughs> but there's so much more to the cross, you guys. There's so much more to the crucifixion. I'll show you a list of things. Maybe not all inclusive, but it covers some really great stuff. Through the cross, let's say them together. Let's do it together. Ready? Go. We've been ransomed. We are protected from judgment. We are partakers in a new covenant. We've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness. We've been reconciled to God. We've been redeemed from slavery to sin. We've been justified from condemnation. We've been forgiven of our sins. We have peace with God. We have healing for our bodies, minds, and emotions. We've been cleansed from sin and moral impurity. And we've been given an example to follow. All that and more through the cross. Aren't you glad? Let's thank God today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the cross. Thank you so much. Worship team, come on back up. The last verse of our text again today says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. That which was seen as foolish is so much wiser than human wisdom. And then it says, The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. It seems like weakness on the outside, but it's not. It's extremely strong. It's the strongest thing ever. And there is no other way or religion that, that even goes near this. That Jesus is the only way. Believing in Christ is not one of many ways to God. It's the only way. And some would preach tolerance and coexistence and all that. And listen, we can, be, we can coexist and we can be tolerant, but we can't compromise the truth of this book that says that He's the only way. That this, this story alone that, that, that is the gospel truth, the good news, is the, is the one way of salvation for people. How could we dare compromise on that? How could we mix it up with other religions? How could we go there? It's not because we're unloving and not that because we're not allowing people to be where they are, but we understand that there's great danger in staying where they are. We've got to tell them about the cross. So I don't know, maybe as believers we need to bring back the one-way symbol. <laughs> one-way Jesus, right? And, and just to remind ourselves, there is only one way. One way to Jesus. Amen? Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.